please be seated. Good afternoon on this truly glorious summer day. I wish to extend a warm welcome to the students, the faculty, and the staff who are joining the Princeton University community for the first time, and to welcome back all of you who are returning for another academic year. Let me begin by introducing you to one another. The one 1,171 new undergraduates in what I am sure will eventually become the great class of 2007. <laughs> but only after you have earned your tiger stripes, hail from 47 states, if anyone knows what happened in Wyoming, Rhode Island, and South Dakota this year, the new Dean of Admission would like to know. And 40 countries, with hometowns like Red Deer, Alberta, Humble, Texas, and Wulumulu, Australia. Collectively, you represent a diverse collection of talents, interests, experiences and aspirations, and we are delighted that you had the wisdom to apply to Princeton and that we in turn had the good sense to admit you. For the 574 new graduate students, I also offer special greetings. You are a strikingly international group of students as 38% of you were born outside the United States, proof positive that Princeton is truly an international university. Whether you have come to enhance your professional credentials in engineering or finance or architecture or public policy, or whether you are embarking on a life of scholarship through PhD studies, you have an important place in this community. I would also like to welcome the 46 new members of the faculty, a group whose distinguished scholarly achievements and dedication to teaching are certain to enhance the university's already well-earned reputation for excellence in both undergraduate and graduate education. I also welcome the new members of the staff. This university works as well as it does because we are blessed with a dedicated staff that oversees everything from enhancing our library collections to maintaining our impressive physical plant to balancing the important budget. This year has brought changes in the senior administration as well. Today, it is a special pleasure for me to welcome the new Dean of Admission, Janet Rapoli, who has come to us from Wellesley College. In her highly capable hands, we have placed the daunting task of selecting the next generation of Princetonians. I am also delighted that David Dobkin, a longtime member and chair of the Department of Computer Science, has accepted my invitation last spring to become dean of the faculty. His challenge is equally daunting, to shape the faculty of the university for years to come. Finally, a warm welcome to the returning members of the classes of 04, 05, and 06, as well as the graduate students who have spent the summer pursuing their scholarly work. Now, it will not have escaped their attention that the campus has undergone some dramatic changes in the intervening months. The glorious East Pine Hall, home to the humanities, has almost completed its two-year facelift 
and is being rescued from the unsightly construction fences, backhoes, and dust that kept its beauty hidden from view. Faculty and students in and archaeology will no longer have to make the long trek over to the Equot to access the collections, as the expansion of the Marquand Library is now complete. And students in the program in theater and dance are going to be strutting their stuff on the new stage of the Berlin Theater this fall, while their admirers, like myself, will be enjoying seating that will make those hard chairs at 185 Nassau Street seem like a distant memory. And for some of you in Rockefeller College, historic Witherspoon Hall is once again open for business with completely renewed rooms and common spaces. Now I suspect the optimists among you are thinking that this must surely be the end. That the construction that has dominated the campus for the last few years and has made walking from one side of the campus to another feel like an IQ test at times, it must surely be over. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not. It's a truism that a university that rests on its laurels doesn't stand still, it falls behind. We must continuously renew every aspect of university life, and that includes our physical space, so that our dormitories are attractive, functional, and welcoming, our classrooms state-of-the-art, our research and library facilities at the forefront of modern scholarship. After all, that's what you expected when you decided to come to Princeton. So I'm afraid that the growth and renewal will be continuing apace with work on Whitman College and the new science library beginning this year, while the work on the Pofield Dormitory and the new Lawrence Apartments will be coming to a conclusion. And now Dean Bridenthal will lead us in the opening prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, Every true promise, every honorable intention, every praiseworthy beginning finds its source, its staying power, its fruition, and its goal in you. We offer before you today the promises we have made, the intentions we have framed, the new year we inaugurate today. May your faithfulness make us faithful to our promises. May your love for us keep our heart's desire on a steady course. May your mercies new every morning fill us with hope. In your name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Among the qualities that matter to us at Princeton, none is more important than intellectual engagement and academic achievement. It is especially fitting that we begin the academic year by honoring a select group of undergraduates 
for extraordinary accomplishment in their programs of study. I now have the privilege and pleasure of introducing this year's prize winners. We begin with the Freshman First Honor Prize. The Freshman First Honor Prize is awarded each year to a member of the sophomore class in recognition of exceptional academic achievement in the work of the freshman year. This year, the recipient of the prize for the class of 2006 is Danelle Padilla Peralta, who graduated from the Collegiate School in New York City. Danelle was born in the Dominican Republic and immigrated to the United States when he was four years old. He now lives with his family in Spanish Harlem. Danelle plans to major in classics. He is a member of Rockefeller College. It is my great pleasure to present the Freshman First Honor Prize to Danelle Padilla Peralta of the class of 2006. The George B. Wood Legacy Sophomore Prize is awarded each year to a member of the junior class in recognition of exceptional academic achievement in the work of the sophomore year. This year, the recipient of the prize for the class of 2005 is Mihai Mania a graduate of Collegial Vasile Alexandri in his hometown of Galati, Romania. Mihai is concentrating in the Department of Economics and plans to complete certificates in finance and in applied and computational mathematics. It's my great pleasure to present the George B. Wood Legacy Sophomore Prize to Mihai Mania of the class of 2005. The George B. Wood Legacy Junior Prize is awarded each year to a member of the senior class in recognition of exceptional academic achievement in the work of the junior year. This year, the prize is shared by two members of the class of 2004, tutor Dan Demofti and Ruth Ilana Tenen. Tutor Demofti. Tudor Demofti is a graduate of Fairview High School in Fairview Park, Ohio. Born in Bucharest, Romania, Tudor immigrated to the United States when he was six years old. Tudor is concentrating in the Department of Mathematics. Ruth Tenen is a graduate of Canton High School in her hometown of Collinsville, Connecticut. Ruth is concentrating in the Department of Molecular Biology. Last year, she was the winner of the George B. Wood Legacy Sophomore Prize, and the year before was the co-winner of the Freshman First Honor Prize. It is my great pleasure to present the George B. Wood Legacy Junior Prize to tutor Dan Demofti and Ruth Ilana Tenen of the class of 2004. And 
Finally, the Class of 1939 Princeton Scholar Award, an award given to that undergraduate who at the end of the junior year has achieved the highest academic standing for all preceding college work at Princeton. This year, the recipient of the prize for the class of 2004 is Andre Botelio Kouros, a graduate of the Lycée Pasteur in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Andre is concentrating in the Department of Physics and pursuing a certificate in applied and computational mathematics. Two years ago, he also stood here as a co-recipient with Ruth of the Freshman First Honor Prize. It's my great pleasure to present the Class of 1939 Princeton Scholar Award to Andre Botelio Coors of the Class of 2004. This is a reading from the first surah of the Quran. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar Rahmanir Rahim. Malik Yomidin. Ia can abudu wa ia can اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين امين In English In the name of Allah most gracious most merciful Praise be to Allah the cherisher and sustainer of the worlds, the most gracious, the most merciful, master of the day of judgment. Thee do we worship and thy aim we seek. Show us the straight way, the way of those on whom thou hast bestowed thy grace, not those whose portion is wrath and who go not astray. Amen. Please join me in a reading from Psalm 104. Bless God, O my soul. O God, my God, you are very great. You stretch out the heavens like a tent. You set the beams of your chambers on the waters. You make the winds your messengers. Fire and flame are your ministers. O God, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The second reading is taken from Romans chapter 20. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, 
but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord.
This afternoon's opening exercises mark the official beginning of the new academic year at Princeton. And it is the beginning of my third year as president. Thus, this is the third time I have had the opportunity to address an entering class of undergraduates and graduate students. In trying to formulate the message that I wanted to convey this year, I thought I might benefit from some advice from a critic. In this case, my own daughter, Rebecca, who graduated last spring in the class of 2003. I asked her to tell me what she would like to have been told at the beginning of her Princeton career, instead of having to learn it through the school of hard knocks. Here are the two things she asked me to tell you. Her first suggestion was a lament. I was to warn you that the next four years will fly by at warp speed and that Princeton will forcibly and cruelly cast you out of the Fitz-Randolph Gates well before you are ready to leave of your own accord. For most of you, this will be all too true. If past is prologue, I can safely predict that the next four years will be among the happiest and the most transforming years of your lives, but they will also be the most fleeting. So make the most of it. The second thing Becca wished she had known at the outset was that everyone feels intimidated and daunted in their first months at Princeton. All of you have excelled at something in high school, certainly in your academic pursuits, but also in singing, acting, checkmating, running, dancing, debating, writing, leading, and countless other activities. Suddenly, here you are in a class where everyone has excelled at something, and some have excelled at many things. This is one of the most difficult adjustments you will have to make in your life, but it may help you to know that everyone is feeling exactly the way you do. It may also help to recognize that over your years here, you will befriend many of these remarkable classmates and that both you and they will grow enormously from living and learning with each other. The breathtaking beauty of the campus landscape, especially on a day like today, and the medieval echoes of its Gothic architecture might give you the impression that you have arrived at an ivory tower where ideas and learning can be pursued in isolation from the hurly-burly of the modern world percolating just outside its gates. Students sometimes characterize this image of the university as the Princeton bubble. I hope this image will hold some truth for you, that you will find times here to become lost in a world of thought, that you will find ways to transport yourself mentally to other times and other cultures, that you will explore ideas that at least at first blush seem wildly impractical or even fully divorced from reality. Think in the 10-dimensional string theory world, for example, or imagine a utopian society in which war does not exist. One of the very important roles that universities play is providing safe places where students and faculty can dream their impossible dreams and create their alternate realities. As compelling as this role might be, however, 
it does not tell the full story. For modern research universities are decidedly not ivory towers, nor would we want them to be. They are very much of the world. In fact, they shape the world through the students they educate, the knowledge they discover, and the ideas they generate. The research conducted by faculty and students aims to reveal insight and to find solutions to pressing problems that range from discovering the molecular basis of cancer to inventing new computer algorithms for air traffic control, providing new insights into great works of art, uncovering the meaning of historical events, proposing global governance strategies, devising better health care policies, and addressing thousands of other issues that confront us as a nation and as a global society. Universities are essential if we are to meet a broad range of human, social, scientific, environmental, and other needs. And to fulfill their missions, universities must engage the world through their scholars, students, and their alumni. This vision of the university is reflected in the Rights, Rules, and Responsibilities Handbook that each of you received this summer. Its first sentence states as follows. The central purposes of a university are the pursuit of truth, the discovery of new knowledge through scholarship and research, the teaching and general development of students, and the transmission of knowledge and learning to society at large. These fundamental purposes form a seamless continuum, so tightly interlocked at the best universities that it is not possible to tell where one stops and the next begins. The linkage between teaching and the pursuit of knowledge is especially evident at Princeton, beginning with the freshman seminar, where you will work through challenging research questions with distinguished faculty members, and extending through the preparation of your original senior thesis or PhD dissertation. Linking learning and research requires an engaged mind, a curious mind, an open mind, a persistent mind. When you take an active part in your own education, rather than passively absorbing knowledge, the experience can be simply exhilarating. Let me illustrate this point with my own experience as an undergraduate chemistry major at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada, in what my son refers to as the Pleistocene era. My organic chemistry professor asked me to explore whether anhydropenicillin, an inert chemical, could be converted into biologically active penicillin. To this day, penicillin remains one of the most powerful antibiotics we have to combat bacterial infections. But at the time, the only source of the drug was the penicillin mold made famous by Sir Alexander Fleming, who won the Nobel Prize for his discovery. If we could develop a strategy to synthesize penicillin in the laboratory, we could potentially improve the purity of the drug and reduce its price to consumers. Well, I spent the semester trying to effect the conversion using an infinite variety of concentrations, solvents, temperatures, salts, incubation times, all to no avail. Then one morning, I arrived in the lab to discover that the lawn of bacteria on which I tested the outcome of each chemical reaction was not growing as usual. Instead, there was a clearing 
in the lawn where the bacteria had been killed. The hair on the back of my neck stood up and my heart started beating wildly. I had experienced the joy that comes from discovering something and on that day I knew I would be a scientist. But this was not the end of the story. The next step was to take out a patent on the reaction conditions, which my professor did, and to take great satisfaction, but alas, not earn one penny, as a pharmaceutical company turned the laboratory-scale experiment into an industrial-scale process. As rights, rules, and responsibilities states, our goal is not simply to discover new knowledge. We have an obligation as a university to encourage the application of that knowledge to help meet the challenges of the world in which we live. This is why our faculty and our students publish books and papers, write op-ed pieces, and columns in newspapers, give public lectures, advise members of local, state, and federal legislatures, speak to primary school students and senior citizens groups, and work with companies, governments, civil society organizations, advocacy and public interest groups, and other entities that have the capacity to affect positive and meaningful change. Princeton's commitment to being of the world rather than apart from it is embedded in our formal motto, Princeton in the nation's service and in the service of all nations. The motto originally comes from the title of Woodrow Wilson's address in 1896 to commemorate Princeton's 150th anniversary celebration. Here's what he said then. It is indispensable, it seems to me, if a college is to do its right service, that the air of affairs should be admitted to all its classrooms. I don't mean the air of party politics, but the air of the world's transactions. We dare not keep aloof and closet ourselves while a nation comes to maturity. One hundred years later, on the occasion of our 250th anniversary in 1996, President Harold Shapiro extended the motto to include the service of all nations, not just this nation. By doing so, he sought to acknowledge the international composition of our faculty, student body, and alumni body, to recognize the growing interdependence of countries throughout the world, and to emphasize the extent to which Princeton, quite intentionally, had become an American university with an international perspective and an international commitment to service. Princeton's motto also captures a bedrock value of this university that can be traced back to its founding, one that fundamentally contradicts the image of the university as an ivory tower, the obligation to put one's education to good use in the service of others. This expectation dates back at least as far as Samuel Davies, Princeton's fourth president, who told the graduating class of 1760, all 11 of them, whatever be your place, imbibe and cherish a public spirit, serve your generation. As was the case for the class of 1760 at the brink of the American Revolution, your generation is coming of age at a time of great unrest and uncertainty in the world. The challenges we face as a nation and as a global community are truly daunting, 
and they will require civic engagement throughout your lives. As citizens of the world who will have had the privilege of receiving an excellent education, your responsibility is particularly great. Just consider some of the most pressing issues that will need resolution in the years ahead. The gap between the richest and the poorest nations is increasing, whether one measures level of education, the quality of health care, life expectancy, or family income, as is the gap between the richest and the poorest in our own country. As a consequence, the world is a more unequal place than it was a century ago. HIV-AIDS has become a global epidemic whose impact is felt around the world, but especially in impoverished areas of sub-Saharan Africa, where an entire generation is being lost. Think globally, act locally, is only partially effective as a strategy for preserving the quality of our environment, as ecological catastrophe in one part of the world is felt at great distances. And we all have to do a better job of addressing both the causes and the manifestations of terrorism around the globe. As you assume the mantle of a Princetonian, I hope you will embrace the vision of Princeton of the world and respond with a passion to serve. By doing so, you will be following in the footsteps of extraordinary individuals who have come before you, who have devoted their lives to the service of this and all nations. As of today, you become a part of a proud heritage, but one that can only be sustained by your own actions. Let me express my hope that the year ahead will not only meet your expectations, but surpass them. May it challenge you and may it surprise you. May it introduce you to new ideas and new friends. May it give you abundant opportunity to explore and learn and think and grow by yourselves and in the company of others who are arriving with you who are already here, and I am sure join me in wishing you the very best luck and a very warm welcome. Thank you. Please rise for the prayer for Princeton. Let us pray together. O eternal God, the creator and preserver of all things, we beseech you to bestow upon this university your manifold gifts of grace, your truth to those who teach, your joy to those who learn, your wisdom to those who administer, your laws to those who hold its mission and its work in trust. By these gracious influences of your spirit, bind all who bear the name of Princeton into the company of those who know your steadfast love. Amen.
Hear the words of the poet Langston Hughes. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Receive now the benediction. Go forth on this special day of commencement, this season of new beginnings open to discover the wisdom of the ages in expected and unexpected places. Go forth, stirring up the indescribable gifts within you. Nurture and nourish the deep places of your life. Go forth, unafraid, to partake of all Princeton University has to offer through the marvelously varied countenance of humanity within her gates. Learn something every day. Live for something every moment. Hold fast to your dreams for they lead to your destiny. And may the one who has brought us together, the Holy One, go with you always. Amen. Thank you.